0: Dr. Shawnee Fox guides cancer survivors through their greatest challenges, including taming fear of recurrence, repairing devastated relationships, and making the most of the life they survived for. Thank you so much, Dr. Shawnee, for sharing your story.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm so
0: glad here. to have you. Mm-hmm. So tell us who you are, what you do, and what was your cancer journey?
1: These days, I'm a trained naturopathic physician, so a holistic physician, and I'm a certified life coach. Mm. And so I have combined those two areas of expertise to um, help cancer survivors really reclaim their confidence again so that they're living their lives full out, both wellness-wise physically and wellness-wise emotionally.
0: Oh, I love that. And what led you to doing that?
1: Lots of different things that fell into place over a series of years. My father passed away in two thousand one of pancreatic cancer, and that was very hard and very sad. But it was—it turned out to be a turning point in my life. In addition to the event that it was on its own, the major event that it was on its own.
0: And how old no, were you was, when, when that happened? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I was actually in my in my forties already. Okay. I was in my 40s. When I was fifteen, though. My father had been hit by an automobile as a pedestrian, oh, sure. and we nearly lost him at that time. As it turned out, he did survive. He lived another 28 years, and as he was dying, I recognized that there was a huge lesson in those, uh, that latter s- chapter of his life, and that was that he realized after that terrible accident, he realized how fragile life was. He realized how precious it was. And so he never wasted time again. He never wasted words again. He made his life about what was important to him, which was in his case, family and friends. He wanted to spend as much time with his family and friends as he could. And so for 28 years, he lived that way, living by his highest principles, living as if life was uh, too precious to waste. And so I was actually with him when he passed away. And as I sat there with him, I'm realizing, you know, that's quite a life. That That's quite a life to have lived where you can say that you lived your life exactly the way you wanted to be able to live it.
0: Most people can't say that.
1: Well, at the time, I couldn't say it either, it turned out. That was part of the lesson. Uh, as I said, I was already in my 40s. And as I realized what his life had really looked like and the value of that, I realized that at that point in time, I wasn't living a life that I could be proud of in that way. And that if I continued this way, I was going to regret it. At the time, I was, first of all, working in the corporate world um, in a job that I was succeeding at and I was being very nicely rewarded for it. And at the same time, I really had no idea if I was making a difference to anybody. Mm. I I was in accounting at the time. um, And it's a very honorable profession, but I really had a yearning to know whether I was making a difference. And I didn't, I simply didn't. And furthermore, I was in a marriage that at that point in time had fulfilled its purpose. It was complete. And so I had two areas of my life which were ripe for transition and realized, okay, if I want to be able to say uh, at the end of my life, what I'm seeing in my dad's life, that I spent my life the way I really wanted to, that I lived by my, my own values, I was going to have to make some major changes, which I did. <laughs> um, the first thing I did was I got some support for some personal inquiry and growth. And I had a look into my professional life. And it was around that time that I was becoming an empty nester. And so I got to ask myself the question, so what do you really want to do when you grow up, Sean? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, I, and you know, I don't think that's uncommon. I, mm-hmm. I really don't. You know, when yeah. when your kids leave, it, it's a different dynamic in the household.
1: It's a different dynamic in the household. You have more time available to you to really do what you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, you know, how clear are you on what you want to be doing? And again, even though I was in a very honorable profession as an auditor at the time, I decided that what I really wanted most of all was to make a direct difference to people. And As I thought about how I would do that, something pretty wild happened. I realized one day that I wanted to pursue something that actually I wanted to do when I was a child. I can remember wanting this when I was about five or six years old. And interestingly, when I was in undergraduate school, which was already prehistory by that time, um, I I had been a pre-med major originally. You were. I was. I was originally a pre-med major. And I left halfway through school for reasons that no longer made sense. And I realized that actually, ever since I was a child, I really wanted to be a doctor. And so I decided, well, that is the way I'm going to make a difference to people. So in my 40s, I up and applied to medical school. And The difference between that time and when I was actually in undergraduate school, let's say, is that had I gone from undergraduate school to medical school, I probably would have gone to a conventional medical school and had a quote-unquote conventional career, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But in the years that had transpired since then, I had raised my own children, and I come to know about myself that I was grateful for the medical system, for what it could do, for example, in emergencies, but also the kind of mother that didn't necessarily pop, you know, the, the aspirin or for myself or the ibuprofen for the kids or whatever, when they had fevers, I I was, I was the kind of mother that realized that a fever is what the body does to cure itself, to heal itself. And so unless it's extremely serious, let it do its job. Don't take away the fever, let it do its job, comfort the child, but let the fever do its job, for example. So in other words, I really had a trust in the human body that it was meant to heal itself, given the proper support. And so when I applied to medical school, I applied to naturopathic school, which is a form of holistic medicine where we, ex- we, we excel in um, using nutrition, using herbal medicine, using exercise and lifestyle and sleep and all those basic factors that contribute to health in order to create health. So we are cultivators of wellness as opposed to healers of disease. We, we do heal disease, but we do it by cultivating wellness.
0: Preventive care, really.
1: Preventive care, yes. And even then when a person does get sick, which of course happens, then making sure that the body's own defenses are in full gear so that they can cure the body.
0: What was it in your father? I mean, he just sounds, first of all, just amazing. And what was it about him? Like you said, you knew he lived a life you really wanted to live. Can you tell us or share something very specific about, you know, how you knew that? I mean, how did you know that he had really made that change after that car accident when you were a teenager?
1: It was literally a track record. I mean, I wasn't aware of it so much at the time, but certainly looking back, I could see it. It wasn't that he did any one particular thing that was, you know, he didn't have a great dream to climb Mount Everest or something. It wasn't that kind of a thing. He he just simply every day, pretty much every hour created the life that he wanted to create. And so that over time, 28 years, that's a long time.
0: Yeah, it's such a track record.
1: I mean, when when a person lives like that, it becomes really consistent and very evident that that's that's a person living by their values. So that was a huge lesson to me in how a person does this. It's it's, uh, not necessarily about one large achievement. It's really about
0: how you are day to day to day. Oh gosh, my, my sister um, taught me a similar lesson, I, I, okay. although I did not, um, I didn't implement it for many, many years <laughs> for many reasons. Um, so tell us about, I mean, that's a big switch going from auditing, being an auditor accountant to, um, to a doctor. Um, so, so kind of tell us like how you went about that, um, what it was like, and 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 then I mean, how did you create this new career?
1: The very first thing that happens, has to happen is a commitment, Andrea. It just has to be a commitment because when I recalled this dream that I had and thought about possibly doing this, first of all, it meant leaving a successful corporate career for at least four years without income and wow. benefits, all that sort of thing, right? So it's pretty scary. And then, furthermore, there's the cost of medical school. And at the time, it's not like I had that money in the bank. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. The the thing is that you can make a lot of excuses. I would lose this. I would lose that. I have to do without this or that, right? But at some point, you just have to decide what's most important to you. Are you going to let the circumstances control you? Or are you going to manage the circumstances or at least direct them? Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know exactly how. And so that's where the leap of faith comes in. The problem was that you know? For all the excuses I could think of, the dream wouldn't go away.
0: <laughs> okay, so all right, that's the quote right there. For, it was again, you know. Okay, for all so, the excuses the I could think of, the dream wouldn't go away. The dream wouldn't oh go away. God, the dream wouldn't go
1: away. And so, what I learned to do after a bit of struggling and losing sleep
0: <laughs> with that,
1: what I learned to do was ask that classic question. You know what this question is. It's what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail?
0: Mm, Okay, that's not the question I thought you were gonna say, but.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, that's the question I ended up asking myself. And because you can think of a lot of reasons that you fail, right? And let every single one of them take you down. But when you think of the idea that maybe you won't fail, and what what if that was actually, what was supposed to happen? What then? Then you start to think of all the ways you can start to step forward okay, somebody up there believes in me, how can I move this forward? And it's that just a process of every day, what do I do next? And what do I do next? And what do I do next? Okay, what do I do next? And you kind of just discover the road as you move forward. And, 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 and let me tell you what actually happened. And this is, turns out, this is not atypical when a person really takes a leap of faith and sticks to it as I said, I had no idea how I would be paying for medical school. And of course you can take loans, but even the prospect of all that debt was pretty scary.
0: Right.
1: So at the time I lived in Los Angeles and I, I did leave that marriage. And in the process of leaving that marriage, I bought out my former husband's share of the house. I I wanted to do that at the time. So I, I then owned the house on my own. And then I had to move in order to go to medical school. I moved to Portland, Oregon, where I trained. When I, bought out my portion of the house from my first husband, the value of the house, it was appraised in that process. The value of the house was $490,000 in LA. Okay. Nine months later, I was accepted to medical school and decided I would move. So I began to make the preparations to sell the house. And in nine months, after nine months, I was able to sell the house for $630,000.
0: Oh, my god i mean i'm not surprised because i lived in la during that time so i remember but yes. wow
1: so the point being yes of course it was a lucky market of course i wasn't you know it was partly right place right time but the fact of the matter is that particular differential paid for medical school without any debt so the money for medical school appeared out of a place that i had no concept that you know no idea that, that would happen And that is what happens when we really commit to our dreams. We we commit and we show our commitment by taking action. You know, by then I had done a year and a half of prerequisites and all the application process and the whole thing. So I was working very hard on top of still working full-time in order to do this. And somewhere out there, the signal got through. And when I say the universe, you know, pitched in to make it happen.
0: Oh, that's amazing. What I'm really curious about is... In your practice, when when and why did you decide to focus on cancer survivors?
1: So I didn't at first. I mean, I went to medical school like everybody else does, just, you know, getting through at first, but somewhere about halfway through. One Friday, we used to have what's called grand rounds, which means that practitioners from the field come in and speak about their specialty or something about nature cases. So we had a grand rounds presentation and a panel of cancer patients came in together with their naturopath who was treating them. And I was so moved by that particular presentation. I was literally in tears. This did not happen every day in medical school, Um, but I was so moved by it that I I remember I didn't go to my next class. I went to the stairwell and just sat there and and thought, what is that? What, What just hit me about that? And I realized very quickly that I was seeing people in an extremely vulnerable position. That is the nature of cancer. Cancer takes us down to the bottom of the bottom. Absolutely. And while certainly we have compassion around that, the other thing we can notice around that is that when a person is at the bottom like that, they're ready to say, okay, tell, let, let's figure out what I need to do here because I want to move forward. I don't want to do that again. I want to change whatever I need to change in order to be healthy from now on and to live the life that I want to live from now on. Echoes of my dad, right? So I realized. It's a challenging place to work with patients, and an incredibly rewarding one. And from that point on, I pointed every every discretionary part of my training. I pointed at uh, working with cancer patients and survivors. I went out and worked with not only naturopaths who work with them, but also even uh, conventional oncologists. I pretty much camped out for six months in the in the office of an oncologist, a particular oncologist who I really admired, and and he was wonderful about that. Took me on you know to see all his patients, and so I just jumped into that wholeheartedly from that point on. And sure enough, when I went out to practice about almost from the first week, about half of my patients were cancer patients or survivors. So that was aligned with what I had prepared myself to do. And where it went from there was kind of interesting because the first thing that I did, of course, with my medical training was I was helping people get their bodies better, either helping them get through treatment more easily, or after treatment was over, you know, the recovery, think about it, Western medicine, focuses on treatment necessarily it's important of course but they really don't focus on recovery it's like once you're done with your treatment see you later you know goodbye and on to the next patient and so that is a forte of naturopathic medicine that we with nutrition with helping people sleep and calm their stress and do all the other things which are fundamental to their physical well-being but also their emotional well-being we really help people get back to a place where they feel okay i feel good again feel good again, because they're frequently exhausted and they have residual symptoms after treatment. So naturopathic medicine is superior in that particular arena. And that's what I did with my first patients. And their bodies got really well, you know, it worked very well. What I began to notice, though, is that even when people's bodies were doing well and their labs looked great and, you know, everything looked like it was going well, very often they didn't believe that they were doing so well.
0: Isn't that I noticed there was,
1: a, there was a, a disconnect between the state of their emotional being and the state of their physical well-being, which was terrific after a while. And so I started to inquire about that, and what I found out was probably more than anything else. There could be a lot of reasons for that, but more than anything else, it was fear. It was fear. People, understandably, are very concerned about that cancer coming back. And they feel like, uh oh, am I gonna have a monkey on my shoulder the rest of my life? Am I ever gonna get out from under this? I I realized, you know, being a holistic practitioner, I had to be able to address that or at least offer resources for it because, you know, mind affects body, body affects mind. That's the whole basis of holistic medicine. So I went looking for resources and I didn't find any. I didn't find anybody that could help with that. And, you know, God bless, you know, there are psychologists out there, there are social workers, and they do a lot of good work in many ways. But that existential fear that people have, there's no pill for it. First of all, you right. know, <laughs> right. I mean, they, you know, they often are prescribed antidepressants, which if they help, that's fine, but that doesn't address the fear. Right. I take the edge off the anxiety, but it does not address the fear. I agree. Yeah. And so they needed a certain kind of counseling or coaching, which was going to help them look this in the eye and say, okay, you know, fear, Um, I know I can't exactly get rid of you, but how are we going to live together? How are we going to coexist here? Because I'm not having you take down my life. Yeah. And so I developed a system of coaching around that. And that's, these days, that's primarily what I do. I do a little bit of medical consulting, but primarily I'm known now for um, helping people, guiding people through this after journey, facing the fear and coming back to a place where the fear hasn't gone away, but it's in its proper place. It's not running the life anymore. The person themselves is running their own life.
0: Oh, that's amazing. We have to also talk about maybe a, a workshop um, for cancer. You, I'd really like to discuss that um, because that's what I have learned with the survivors I know that they all say that there's not anything really for them. Um, I've had providers say that as well. Um, and there are often permanent chronic physical conditions, um, but but dealing with the mental and emotional stress is tremendous and you can't just swallow a pill. I I totally agree. Um, And to your point about fear, so many people have been credited with saying some version of this, but one of my favorite sayings is, um, you know, courage is not lack of fear. Courage Mm. is having fear and just moving forward anyway, because we all have fear of some kind, all of us. And you, but you can't let that stop you. People. And and most people do. They do. Exactly.
1: And this is where that experience that I mentioned earlier about going for my dream no matter what came into play. In other words, I a very different kind of fear. And I'm certainly not comparing. Of course. But of a kind of fear that can take down your dreams. Yeah. And and having learned how to move through that and beyond that into the life that was beyond that, that is a seminal experience in my life that has helped me stand there and stand for their dreams, even when they're not ready to do that yet until such time as they do
0: right right It's oh, yeah. amazing now are you still in portland
1: i'm still in portland yes okay
0: so how do people find you i'm just curious and we're gonna put links at the end guys but how do people find you typically
1: uh probably on the web i think in various ways you know i'm on linkedin i have a website i am on facebook um so people uh know of me and i've done some speaking and workshops in the past certainly so it's just after a while you're out there enough that people start to discover, you know, it's, it's always very gratifying to me. I'll go to a conference and somebody I don't know comes up to me and said, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> you know, it means it means something has worked about, you know, your web presence that people have heard of you. They, they know what your message is. Um, I, I really think that's what it is these days.
0: I have a two prong question for you. Mm-hmm. What is one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning of your father's cancer journey? And what is one thing that you hear from your patients that they wish they had known at the beginning of their journeys? Kind of like if, if there's sort of a common theme.
1: What I wish I would known is that ultimately everything's gonna be great, everything's gonna be fine. And I say that despite the fact that my father in fact passed away because I say that based on how he lived, what came from what he lived. In other words, his life influenced mine in the most positive way. So if death is inevitable, at least all the other parts were absolutely in place Hmm. and therefore it was gonna be okay. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be okay as long as we stand in our own vision and values.
0: And what common theme do you see for your patients?
1: My patients are all over the board. So it's interesting to ask about a common theme on this one. But I, I think I, I'd have to say almost the same thing. You know, I've had, of course, when you work with cancer, you're going to have some that pass away, yeah, and and many who live. And either way, either way, it, c- turns, out hmm. it turns out to be about the life. It turns out it, to be about the life It's it's it. You know, the ones who live that life, the best they could, no matter what, they live on. I mean, they 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 are they, that cannot be eradicated. That that is not only. Um, Something that affects the people who are close to them, their families, friends, and the people who work with them, like I do. But I think it actually raises the vibration of the entire world. I mean, I, I think this is mm-hmm. you know, the more examples we have of this, the more we're all inspired and it pays forward. It pays forward. Oh, that's all so right, beautiful.
0: It made me cry today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask a question that I don't normally ask, but I think it's really perfect for you. Um, if you could give any advice to your 15 year old self, what would you say and why?
1: So it's interesting that you chose 15 years old because that's how old I was when my father had that accident.
0: Uh, that's why I chose it. <laughs> <laughs> I listen.
1: <laughs> you, you, you did listen. Yes, you did. OK, so here's here's something that in retrospect I can see and I wish I'd known, found out about myself then. Not at the time, really. But later on, I realize. Um, my father at first was in a coma. Oh. And I was the oldest child, and so a couple of days after, a few days after that all happened, I was taken to see him in, you know, he was out in the uh, intensive care, um, wires everywhere. Oh, goodness. And I was wisely probably allowed to stand there alone with him. And I remember I was shaking head to toe obviously never having encountered this in my life before. I was shaking and yet in that circumstance, I knew exactly what to say to him. Just standing there, exactly the the beneficial things came out of my mouth. And I didn't know it then, but then it was just whatever happened happened. But later on I realized, oh my goodness, that is your gift. You know, how many people, I mean, you, you must hear this also, when you choose to engage with cancer patients, professionally, people often will ask, you know, isn't that depressing? Yeah. say, so, no, actually it's inspiring. And in order for it to be inspiring, you have to be able to stand there and accept exactly what is not deny it. If you're going to start fighting and resisting it internally, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be in your struggle and that's where your attention is going to go as opposed to the relationship that's happening right there in the moment. And so I, I, Got, I didn't know it till later, but I got to find out very early on at 15 that I had what it took to be in those situations with people who are at their ropes end. And I can stand there and I can be there for them. And I know exactly what to say. It's the gift that I was given. And so if I could talk to my 15 year old self, I would tell her, you know, you've got a gift that's going to be really helpful in this world. So just go with it. Just go with it. Don't be afraid of anything. Just go with it.
0: How come you didn't stay pre-med? I'm curious.
1: Well, this was a thing of the times. You know, it wouldn't be applicable anymore. But somehow, between the examples that I had and w- what I knew at the time was I really wanted to have a family, and I didn't think I could be a doctor and, and have a family at the same time successfully. That, that's no longer true, of course. My own da- daughter is a dermatologist. She's, you know, doing, it's, it's hard work, but she's doing well. <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 it's very possible. It's possible to have that support now, but at the time that was the, that's what I grew up with and I
0: succumbed to it. Well, that is a perfect segue to, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U S what would it be and why? And yes, you only get one. <laughs> we need to do a whole lot, but you only get one.
1: <laughs> Cultivate, wellness. Cultivate wellness by teaching people um, how to eat mm-hmm. To exercise to if they're having problems with their sleep what to do about that all the way we live our lives is not absolutely every time but in the vast majority of cases that's our future health wise we've got to be on it every day and it's actually a beautiful journey it's a wonderful journey there's there's something so wonderful about you know for example at my age now to be able to say You know what? My body still does whatever I want it to. If I choose to do X, my body will help me do X. You know, there's nothing that my body is stopping me from doing at this point in my life. And, you know, I'm, I mean, yes, I've had some good luck, but I've also taken care of myself and I'm not the only one. I think this is something that any of us can do in the majority of cases, if we, if we are attentive to it. And the truth is that, you know, that that what, what affects the Largest number of people health wise, the diabetes epidemic, the high blood pressure, you obesity, know, the, obesity. Yes, which, yeah. you know, and all are connected, of course. But right. you know, the, these these things, which affect millions of people, these things are by and large preventable. Oh yeah, I agree. At least ninety percent preventable. I mean, again, mm. there. I know there's some genetic factors. There's a few things we can't help, but, but at least you know, the vast majority is preventable, and people would enjoy their lives so much more. Not to mention, of course, that the healthcare system would. You know look a lot different in terms of the expensive bit the 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 what it takes to support it yeah um, the cost of healthcare will be very different so the ramifications of cultivating wellness are universal and that's what i would love to say
0: i th- i think as long as we can't talk about obesity openly um and talk about food as a, an addictive behavior and be honest and open about it mm-hmm. um as, as long as you're shamed for even saying that um, mm-hmm. it's going to be an issue um, because I know doctors who in, in conferences and, and stuff will, will not say obesity. They will say metabolic disorder mm-hmm. and then you pull them aside and one-on-one they'll say, Oh yeah, obesity. Yeah. People are addicted to food. They need to stop. And it's a, it's an addiction, but they would never say that. When they're presenting, you know, a poster or something like that, they'll say metabolic disorder.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and in very small minority people, it might actually be a metabolic disorder. There might be a component of that. Um, but but I know what you mean. Yeah, yes, diabetes one, that's genetic. That's a totally different thing than diabetes two, which which is you know which is due to what you're eating, how you're treating your body. So.
1: Yeah. And, and with due respect to the doctors, I mean, again, they, they are doing what they can, but conventional doctors are not trained to handle things at the root cause.
0: Oh, correct. Yeah, they right? treat They, so treat they offer, symptoms. Yeah.
1: They offer surgeries, they offer medication, right. and all of that has its place, absolutely. But things like obesity, we've got to go back to the root causes. You know, yeah. one one aspect, of course, being that, yes, it can be an addiction. Uh, so there's clearly an emotional, large emotional component to it, which doctors are not trained to handle. Yeah, uh, and Not to mention, they're not even particularly trained in nutrition itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's just not on the medical school curriculums in any degree that would be allow them to prescribe that way. They need uh, the support of other professionals in order to be able to be effective in this area with their patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Are you ready for Thrive or Rapid Fire questions? Whenever you are. Okay. okay. Uh, I can't, I'm curious about the first one with you, knowing where you live, um, and I love Oregon, by the way. Uh, beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach boys, beetles, or rolling stones?
1: Beetles for me.
0: What is one word that best describes you? Passionate. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: Forever and Ever, Amen, Randy Travis.
0: Oh, I love it. <laughs> the last meal you want to eat?
1: Oh, it would be pasta and fine wine overlooking the ocean.
0: Oh, I'm there. I'm there with you. Um, last person you want to see.
1: My daughter's, granddaughters, and the one I love.
0: And the last words you will speak.
1: All I ever wanted to do was love you.
0: Oh, so beautiful. Um, and aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I definitely want you to talk about your website and your new Facebook group.
1: The, the one resource I'll, I'll, speak in general first, which is that for anybody going through cancer who's beyond cancer and struggling or caregiving for cancer, um, find the person who can support you in the emotional realm.
0: Hmm.
1: The struggle that you are feeling, because we're all feeling it. All of, anybody who's involved in this is feeling it. The struggle you are feeling is valid It's real. It's not to be poo-pooed and suppressed just because there's somebody physically ill in front of you, even though, of course, that's very important. You are important, too. Or that part of you is important, too, if you are the one also with the cancer. And so find the resource that's going to support you as much as you need emotionally, during and beyond, because that's valid, too. Things Things do not end with treatment. Find that person. Find that professional. Find that program, whatever it is. Insist on it. And, and you'll find it. I do, If, if you know, to it's extent that I can be helpful with it to anybody, I'm honored to do that. Um, my website, drshanifox.com, D-R-S-H-A-N-I-F-O-X.com is uh, full of resources. I've got our free training there about how to um, get out from under fear. Um, also lots of, I, I, I've been blogging for a long time, lots of writing there. So it, those, um, Resources are all there for anybody who's interested. And of course, there's an opportunity, of course, to get in touch with me through my website as well. Uh, I do give a, a free um, consult, a, what I call strategy session, uh, for anybody who wants to know whether this would help them. We find out if we're a fit, if I can be of help. And if, if so, then you know we can talk about working together. But your, your first consultation is absolutely free.
0: And what about that Facebook group?
1: And the Facebook group. That's also through my website. You can get, find it there or on Facebook on Cancer Survivor Doc. Cancer survivor doc on Facebook. And so that uh, Facebook group is called Women Rising Beyond Cancer. Uh, it is for women and it is only for people who are cancer patients or survivors. They have asked that it be kept private to them. Um, but if that uh, matches where you find yourself, then by all means, come on in. We've got people talking in there about what really needs to be talked about. There's absolutely nothing we can't talk about in that group. And that's why it exists, is just to be able to ask the hard questions and uh, to get encouragement from each other.
0: Oh. Oh, well, thank you for those fantastic resources. And thank you so much for sharing your story today, Dr. Shawnee. It's
1: my joy and pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university, that's cancer.university, and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast, real people, true stories.